Welcome to the Press Gallery, the Edmonton Journal's politics podcast. The This Is Why You Can't Have Nice Things edition. With me today, we have legislative columnist Graham Thompson. Hello. Hello. We have uh, city columnist Paula Simons. Good morning, Miss Emma. How are you? I'm very well, thank That's you. Lovely. And we have Stuart Thompson, who has actually joined me at the Legislative Press Gallery now. Hey. Super fun. <laughs> are you liking it? That's a lot of fun. Yeah. Yeah. You get your own office with an oak door. You get to, mm-hmm. you know, use You're the, in the basement of the building. Use the, yeah. the marble-clad walled bathrooms. It's very exciting down at the Lunch Press Gallery. Really, really nice, especially on pizza day. <laughs> uh, the cafeteria. Yeah, so now this was the first week of the fall sitting. There was a lot of yelling uh, in QP and in the house. The speaker was telling everyone they ate too much Halloween candy a couple of times. A lot of death thumping. And, of course, the government was wrapped over the knuckles for its carbon tax ads back in the summer. Tisk tisk NDP. Uh, We're covering a fairly wide swath of um, Alberta politics this week. We've got the government quashing an all-party committee uh, in light of what the government says was the opposition parties not playing well with others at all and the uh, 180 from the NDP on election funding. Also talking about some more moves on the climate leadership plan. The PC leadership race is heating up, so that's all exciting and all the uh, candidates are all helping each other out for the most part. Actually, let's start there. That's a good place to start. Graham, you're... After you leave here, you're going to be heading down to Red Deer for the yeah. PC convention this weekend. Look how excited he looks, guys. I am very excited. He's, he's really containing Last that quite weekend well. it was the Wild Rose and Red Deer. Wasn't that a at good At the time? Sheraton. And this weekend at the very same hotel, it's the PC convention. Hooray! And, of course, looming over both conventions um, is Jason Kenney. He did that sort of figuratively last week. He'll be literally at the convention this weekend. he'll be literally looming? Literally <laughs> looming. He's at, he'll be part of the, um, the big thing we're going down to cover isn't the convention it's the leadership debate Mm -hmm. this is the first time we'll have we're thinking the five candidates um six candidates now right let's count them okay kids let's all count the candidates okay we've got jason kenny jason kenny that's one sandra jansen that's two donna kennedy glans three Uh, mr khan Stephen Kahn just officially launched last night. That's four. Richard Starkey. Richard Starkey, five. Oh, and Byron... Um, Nelson. Nelson, that's there six. There we go. Look at that, six. Half a dozen. They'll be on the stage on Saturday. Good counting, evening. guys. <laughs> <laughs> uh, for a two-hour, they call it a forum. This is the first time we'll see them on stage. The thing is, technically right now, only Jason Kenney, I believe, has actually put his, his money in and his, um, his nomination papers. We're waiting for the other uh, five to do so. But... We'll see how they actually start to maneuver themselves on the stage regarding, will it be five against Jason Kenney? How will the crowd react? It's like seven against Thebes. And <laughs> we'll, we'll see how uh, this is going to work out in terms of moving down the road because, look, this is going to be a long race. Nominations close November the 10th, and then uh, the actual convention isn't until March 18th. It's a marathon, not a sprint. But we'll see how it kicks off uh, tomorrow night. Well, it's interesting because the, the news this week is that Stephen Kahn, as, as Stuart mentioned, has thrown his hat in the ring as of this week. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's the first person from the Edmonton capital region to have, have stepped forward. And I guess at this point, with only uh, you know a few days to go, he'll likely be the so only be the Edmonton yeah. regional candidate. So Kahn uh, was a cabinet minister in Allison Redford's government, lost his seat, as so many conservatives did in the last provincial election. Didn't really have a high profile as a cabinet minister under Redford. It wasn't, I don't think, seen as a particularly successful cabinet minister under Redford. So it'll be interesting to see whether he can 
have sort of the Edmonton Regional Northern Alberta vote coalesce around him. I mean, St. Albert isn't exactly Northern Alberta, but he's the from the farthest north of any other candidate who's put his I hat think in the being ring kind so far. On him. He, he was dropped from cabinet. Yes, all right. <laughs> yes, Redford. I was being kind. Uh, yeah, there was a, a, a little wee demotion in there. Yeah. So yeah, not seen as a success. Is that what I said? Yeah, not seen as a success. When I spoke with him yesterday, actually, we sat down and, and had a bit of a chat before he had his big old uh, launch out at St. Albert because he's not from Edmonton. He's from St. Albert. Keep that in mind. They're very different places. But he, I did ask him about that northern uh, Alberta, the Edmonton draw card, and he said if it were up to him, he would just remove that whole division between Calgary, rural, and Edmonton altogether because he would like it if everyone just played nicely together. That's sweet. Isn't that nice? <laughs> I think it does, though. Graham's like chuckling. <laughs> yeah, in Alberta. That really works in Alberta. <laughs> I think reading like what, what we've talked about your interview with Khan and reading your piece, it's it has been really interesting. And then I was there when you were talking to Sandra Jansen yesterday. It does seem like this is five against Kenny, and this is five for the party and five against Kenny. And that, I think, presents a really tough thing for Jason Kenny when it gets to the actual voting. He's going to have to win a clear majority on his own. And I, I think it'll be really interesting to watch this debate and see are all these people just lining up against him? Is this a, a sort of a last-ditch save-the-party effort? Aren't they all working together, which I think you kind of touched on? Uh, I think this is going to be really interesting to see how it works on Saturday. Absolutely. You know, they're actually um, Facebook-living the leadership debate because I won't be in Red Deer, but I know how I'm spending my Saturday <laughs> night. <laughs> With some whiskey, right? Yeah. There'll probably be a drinking game come out of that at some point. But the Khan thing is, it's interesting because there was that rumor, right, Graham? We've been talking about his name for mm -hmm. a, a while, haven't we? Well, the thing is, we're wondering who would jump in from Edmonton. You know, we had um, Khan's name came forward. We had Herman Candola, a former PC candidate. And also we had um, Michael Oshry. Yeah, Michael Oshry the, from the, Edmonton the City Council. And even uh, Stephen Mandel's name popped up. People wanted to have somebody from the capital region in this race, you know, because it's so important. Um, there's always that balance in, in Alberta politics, even though, of course, I think that um, next election will be decided, I think, in Calgary. And uh, that's where the real fight is going to go on in a lot of ways. Anyway, having said all that, uh, we're wondering, someone should, should step forward. I think it's a case where Khan was in, he was out, he was in, he was out. Now he's in as the person from the capital yeah, region. There was even a little embarrassment for him this week because his website went live accidentally, I think, before he intended it to. And the blogger, Dave Cornoyer, had sort of cap done a screen capture of the thing. And they were like, no, 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 wait, wait, no, no, not yet, not yet, not yet. Um, he's so, got to have been on to, to get that screen cap so quickly, but, right? But, yeah. uh, but it's, a very, it's a very slick website. I mean, it must be said that Stephen Kahn... It has a lot of personal charisma, uh, very telegenic, uh, is, is, would be the first uh, you know, candidate who's you know, Muslim on his dad's side and Jewish on his mom's side, covering off you know, a wide variety of, of, uh, of diversity all in, all, in one, in all in one package. But I don't think he's got the personal profile that a Michael Oshry or a Stephen Mandel certainly would have had. So it'll be interesting to see. I mean, he certainly comes from the more urbane, progressive wing of the party. But you've got Sandra Jansen and Donna Kennedy-Glanz in that same wheelhouse as well. So it'll be interesting to see. As as Stuart says, you know, if, if, there, if there are alliances that form in, in this kind of uh, convention atmosphere, whether, you know, delegates 
I mean, there could be a lot of politicking and sort of, you know, alliances that gang up against Kenny at a certain point. On the other hand, if if the anybody but Kenny vote splits amongst all those people who have very parallel policies, uh, maybe that's not so bad for Jason Kenny. Yeah, and they are hoping all each other get signatures, which I thought was uh, kind of interesting. They're all taking signatory sheets around constituencies and gathering signatures for each other. Uh, a, a big issue, of course, this time around is that it's a delegated convention. Right, it's not one yeah. person, one vote, which is what Jason Kenney wanted because he has name recognition. This is more uh, a real fight to get people in like, a slate of candidates in each writing association, 15 delegates from each writing association, so you're going to have to really work the uh, the grassroots to get people to come out, not just buy a membership, to actually join the actual process. And that's going to be a lot more difficult, I think, for Kenny to do that. But we'll see how it turns out because uh, he is well-known. He's a very hard worker, and he's been working since June. Yeah, that's that's the point, actually, is you actually asked Sandra Jansen if she was working with Jason Kenny to get those signatures, and <laughs> it was pretty funny how quickly she said no. Um, she but- didn't say no so much <laughs> as she said well, you know what? He's never reached out. He's never called me. He's never texted me. He's <laughs> never asked. She seemed delighted by it. But and that I think that is a good point, is that Jason Kenney has been on a tour of Alberta all summer, and that's exactly why he was on that tour, is to start not only getting the signatures, but getting his delegates ready, getting people on the boards. And I don't think any of those other candidates have been doing that. So I, I think they kind of have to work together to get this done. Well, you're going to have fun at the convention this weekend, Graham. That leadership debate, you're so much fun. (laughs) The the hotel manager uh, of the Sheraton in Red Deer is having a very, very good, very good couple of weeks. At least there is unity on the hotel choice. (laughs) (laughs) Everybody working together. Let's let's move on to uh, the climate leadership plan. Now, it's been the first week of session, so obviously the government has been very keen to really get moving on different aspects of the plan, and they have announced a couple of different things this week. Stuart, what's been happening on that front? Uh, well, I covered uh, the emissions cap part of all this, which is that what they're trying to do is, or what they've now legislated or starting to legislate, is that there will be a 100 megaton cap on the yearly emissions of the oil sands. So anything that happens in the oil sands and this it actually does cover everything so if you have a vehicle on an oil sand site that counts towards your emissions and any other parts of production and they have they have some very large vehicles yeah. sometimes on those oil sand sites so they're they're counting everything and right now we are at about 66 megatons some numbers say 70 but the 2014 numbers are 66 according to the government um, I think that's according to an NEB report. And so what that gives them is 50% room. And what they're hoping to do, and I think the estimate is that they'll reach that cap by 2030. The government's intention and the government's hope is that we will do such great work on getting the intensity of the emissions down at the oil sand sites or at new oil sand sites that you won't get the same amount of projects per megaton of pollution. So they're hoping that technology will be so good they can just fit a lot more projects under that cap um the opposition i think is skeptical of that well when, when we asked brian jean about this because he was like no i don't like it don't like it don't like the plan <laughs> and i said but wait so you are you saying that there shouldn't be any kind of cap on emissions and he went no no no, i'm not saying that what i'm saying is industry has done a very good job of regulating itself it's like wait so you're saying industry should just put its own caps in or how does that work well 
No, I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that industry's done a very good job. <laughs> yeah, he wasn't saying much. No. <laughs> and he actually, wasn't committing one way or another, there was he? We at at the ledge, they did a, a quick briefing, and then they had Shannon Phillips come on, and then Rick McIver kind of lurked in the background, and then took the podium after she left to give his comments, and he was asked the exact same thing. You know, you don't like this plan. Are you saying no cap? Are you saying there should be a bigger cap? And nobody will really address that issue because, I mean, when you look at it, we're 66 to 100. We're, that's nearly doubling the yearly admissions right well, now. And it's interesting because they're going with a 2014 number, which I don't think I'd realized until you explained it to me nicely. Yeah. Now. So, I mean, I think that probably gives them a little bit more runway because obviously production is down right now due to the low price and, and, and to the delays in the fi- you know caused by the fire. So if they back themselves up a bit. I mean, emissions this year, I don't know, were they actually lower than six? I would just, they probably were, um, but they won't, the, the, num- the reason they gave the 2014 numbers is because that's the most recent ones they have from the NEB. But, you know, I mean, I guess the real question is, you know, is this is this actually making a meaningful difference to the pace of global warming, or is this about the hunt for the elusive social license? I mean, you know, I, I, I want a social license, and then maybe I can go out dancing and drinking at night. Um, but, you know, if if the purpose here is not so much to reduce the intensity of emissions from the oil sands, but to create a better argument to go to the federal government and say, hey, you need to approve a pipeline. See what good boys and girls we're being. See how nicely we're playing. Uh, I think probably that has as much to do with the realpolitik of this as anything else. Well, that is what it is, Paula. It's just, you know, there's there's a a really large cap, 100 million tons. It's them, again, the social license. It's them phasing out coal. When it comes to actual bending the curve, and of course we keep talking about that, (laughs) this province, a curve is already bent. But the government wants to bend the curve. <laughs> but that, that isn't going to happen until 2030. In terms of getting real, a real drop in the emissions, not just in the intensity, it's going to be another 14 years. This is the government trying to convince other jurisdictions and the federal government that it's doing better on the environmental front without, without actually killing the economy. Now, the opposition, the Wild Rose, just does not want to do anything on the environmental front. So if it's a cap, even 100 million tons, they will not even say that's a good idea because they don't want to be seen is buying into any aspect of the NDP's plan. So you get this debate going on in the legislature where the government's talking about reducing emissions and helping the economy down the road, getting a more pipeline built. But the opposition, especially the Wild Rose, is focused on the carbon tax. And they're making this about the economy and fiscal arguments, yeah. completely ignoring the environmental aspect of this. They um, Actually, they, this is a good point. That has been brought up every single day, multiple times uh, in question period. And yesterday, I think it was, well, Australia dropped their carbon tax. Yeah, and France is going to, apparently. Yeah, but, you know, Australians, I don't know that we're the best base for what what a country should necessarily do. I mean, we're drunk most of the time. Yeah. (laughs) Okay, it was Emma who said that. We didn't say that. (laughs) You're all thinking it. Yesterday, actually, I think it was Derek Philibrand heckled the government by saying Francois Hollande, the French president? I want to say president, but I was like, that is the strangest heckle I've ever heard because they were saying that France is thinking about getting rid of their carbon tax. Right. And, uh, but I, one thing I will add about all this is something to look forward to. I kind of pinned my piece on the emissions gap around it is that the Kinder Morgan decision is a, supposed to be made in December. So I asked Shanna Phillips, the environment minister, about the emissions cap because they're still waiting on a pretty important report to come back uh, that is important to the emissions cap. and. Some questions about it are unanswered because of that. Um, And I said, are you doing this now because 
Kinder Morgan Trans Mountain Pipeline expansion is due up in December, and she wouldn't bite. She didn't say yes. She didn't say no. But in the summer, Rachel Notley did say to that environmental panel, hey, look, we've got this emissions cap. We're on the right track, so you should approve this pipeline. So I think if that pipeline does get approved, you may hear a little bit of crowing from the government about this. A little bit, yeah. Just a teeny, <laughs> Just a tiny little, little We bit. might hear yeah. a blip. I mean, yeah. if they can get a pipeline approved when the conservatives couldn't, then they'll then they will be very happy to take all the credit for that. The problem's going to be getting an approval with conditions isn't the same as actually getting it built. Yeah. You betcha. And one thing, too, that I think puts this on the right track is it's already been approved by the National Energy Board. So that's done. Um, the government, though, Justin Trudeau, has appointed a three-member environmental panel, which is designed to look at the environmental effects and look at uh, Aboriginal consultation, which you may remember that's why Northern Gateway was tossed out in court is because they didn't consult well enough with Aboriginal groups. So it does seem to me that this panel is designed to give them cover to approve a pipeline, which I think both Justin Trudeau wants to do and, of course, Rachel Notley wants to do. But, of course, even if it's approved, I mean, it's, it's been fascinating to me. We haven't talked really on this podcast much about what's been going on in North Dakota where the issues no, are so parallel mm-hmm. to what we know here. It's been kind of fascinating for me to see Americans, having lived in the United States myself, done my journalism school training there, First Nations issues are not on the American political agenda, not very often. And and when you see the the, the water protectors uh, pipeline debate going on in North Dakota, I think for a lot of Americans, it's the first time they've ever really paid attention to the whole issue of First Nations sovereignty and, and, and pipelines. And I think, you know, in a perfect world, one of us would be down in North Dakota covering what's going on there, because I think the resonance of that um, is something that we need to be tracking here too because uh once people you know start to coalesce around this issue we need to be very careful that any pipeline work here going forward gets buy-in from any first nations uh, whose lands are going to be crossed by that infrastructure now the government it wasn't just about um carbon emissions they also announced the renewable electricity plan this week didn't they Mm -hmm. yeah and i would suggest that anyone looking for insight into this read our colleague Chris Varco at the Calgary Herald wrote a pretty good column about this. Just sort of, um, he he did a good job of balancing the policy implications and the political implications. Which, when we're talking about this climate change plan, those two things can be very distinct from each other. And uh, I think with this plan, it's interesting. They're going to take the money that they get from taxing the bad things that go into the environment, and they're going to put it into the good things that might avoid those emissions. That's the theory. Uh, like Ontario has had a lot of problems with theirs, and the Alberta government will tell you that theirs is a different kind of program. Um, there's a, a market system in effect for people who want to do renewable energy uh, projects. Um, so they're bidding on these projects, and they're saying that the competitive bidding will keep the prices down. That um, the government will be sort of subsidizing the difference between market prices and what people can afford to do with the renewables. So. You just hearing that, you can probably imagine how that could balloon out of control. And I think that is what they're trying to avoid, and they have a plan to avoid that. But I think there are some people who are skeptical, and this is something I think as a journalist and as anyone who is interested in the finances of the project, you'd want to keep an eye on. I don't believe there's anyone skeptical about anything in this province, Stuart. <laughs> I don't think that's a true statement at all, mate. Um, let's Such skepticism. <laughs> 
So speaking of taxpayer dollars, of course, uh, the government this week in question period, Christina Gray, who is the Labor Minister, but also the minister tasked with democratic reform, I believe is her title, was answering questions from the opposition about taxpayer dollars going to fund political parties during election campaigns and said, yeah, no, we're not doing that anymore and just kind of sat down. <laughs> and we all went, I'm sorry, what now? What What just... So, um, obviously, we did both speak with uh, Christina Gray after that uh, bombshell. Ask that exact gone. question. <laughs> what? Uh, who wants to speak us <laughs> through exactly what government is doing here? Well, this, is, this goes back to that um, infamous, notorious all-party committee. This is the... <laughs> The Our standards for notoriety are not, are not, that, <laughs> not that high around here. Yeah, in Alberta, absolutely. It's, it's the Select Standing Committee, All-Party Committee ethics on Ethics and Accountability. And, accountability. It was and it was joint, announced by Notley and Brian Jean. A year ago, after the, in the uh, honeymoon period after the election, um, you had the opposition leader and the, the premier announcing this new All-Party Committee. And unlike committees of legislature, it's not completely dominated by the government members. Here it's a split. You've got eight members from the government and eight total from the opposition. And then it's chaired by a government. With, with one government person. And the idea is, to, deciding vote. Yeah, is to give you know the opposition <laughs> a, a voice almost as powerful as the government's. And mm-hmm. the problem was they get into all kinds of fights and it became an eight versus eight with the chair voting with the, the government every, every step time. of the way. And one of the big issues they're dealing with, of course, is finance um, reform for elections. One of the big issues the NDP pushed, the NDP members pushed, was this idea that if you got 10% of the vote, either as a candidate or a party, in an election, you got half your money back from the provincial government for your party. And the opposition thought, no, this is really a bad idea during a recession to have basically the taxpayers funding political parties, whether you like the the political party or not, and they fought against it, and the NDP members said nope, and they pushed it through. Yeah, they were the opposition, and I I, I went to all these committee meetings, or I listened to all these committee meetings rather, and oh my gosh, the the arguments against this thing, and then it devolved into a... um, the NDP saying, well, your leader, Brian Jean, was a federal politician and they do this federally in Ottawa, so hey, what's your problem with it, right? And then it kind of devolved into, didn't they walk out of the committee meeting at one point? Yes, some of the members <laughs> from the uh, opposition walked yep. out. And you're right, um, you had, you've got the government blaming the opposition for being obstreperous, but yet the government members were getting really political and partisan mm-hmm. in debates. And you're right, uh, they would say, you know, this idea of a rebate is being supported by Harper, supported by Wall. So you must be in favor of it because you guys, you guys love, love Harper, Harper and Wall. Man. Therefore, you have to support this. And the opposition <laughs> is saying, no, we don't support this. And you had also, because you also had the, there's one liberal MLA in the House and one uh, Alberta Party MLA. And they were both against this because that 10% threshold means that the Alberta Party, based in the last election, and, and the uh, Liberal Party would get nothing back. Yep. Because they get less than 10%. <laughs> mm-hmm. So they didn't like this either. So it did not go well. That's and not Their arguments against it weren't that, though. <laughs> they said it wasn't fair and it was going to be um, a whole bunch of money going from taxpayers. They didn't mention how oh, little course, vote they got. But, but they get none of that money, right? <laughs> no, exactly. So um, the government, um, even though it has, it will likely accept some of the recommendations, like a, a cap on, um, on, on spending, a cap on contributions. Yep. Um, that will come forward as a bill in the, the session. But when it comes to this actual idea of rebates, 
the minister said no. Yeah, we're not. We're definitely not going to do it. And by the way, this committee, it's gone now. They've taken it away. That's why you can't have nice things. They've just decided that that committee is dysfunctional. And that's something. why they whispered it in question period. I think they don't want that bill to be consumed with this exact discussion we're having now, which yeah. is, you know, the committee's ending and the, they've sort of climbed down on the rebates. So I think they tried to just get it out quickly. And then one of the, I know it was mentioned again then yesterday and... Um, Someone from the opposition bench kind of yelled out when Christina Gray said, "You know what? We'll have we'll have um, legislation in the fall. It'll be great. We'll sort it all out." And he yelled out, "Oh, NDP knows best, don't they?" <laughs> More skepticism. I yeah, I know it's know. everywhere. It really is. It's now. It's. I mean, yeah, it wasn't a wholly bad idea. Let it be said, but it's it's become so politically toxic. I think that this. I think pulling the plug on this is the only you know, the only sensible solution. Especially when, I mean, Alberta's finances are in the shape that they are in. The fact that money was going to go to um, political parties, uh, when everything is the way it is, when there are so many people without work, when when we're in billions of dollars of deficit, I just can't see how politically this was going to ever but roll. But you know what? Taxpayers underwrite political parties all the time anyway, because yeah, anytime, anytime you make a donation to yeah. a political party, you get a huge tax refund relative to what you get if you you know donate to other things. Yeah. Uh, I mean, this, the Stelmat government leveled the playing field somewhat on this, but I mean, just generally speaking, the well, I tax... Think it's, it's like three quarters of your money back, yeah. I think. 75%. 75%. I mean, yeah. I, I have never made a donation to a political party, let it be said, as a good journalist. Uh, I, I just don't do that. But, yeah, I mean, the taxpayers underwrite people's political donations all the time anyway. But so I guess really the difference is this is it's so overt. And also, you're as a taxpayer, you're going to actually be supporting a party, whether you liked it or not. You are doing it indirectly with the tax rebate. But this actual idea of giving a party half its spending back. It tastes it just very different really from bad, a tax refund, right? Yeah, which is a bit more hidden. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and I think people... When you are probably, if you pull people on those two questions, do you want taxpayer dollars going to the to the parties for their campaign funding? They would say no. But if you say to them, "Do you want to take big money out of politics? Do you want those big donations to stop?" They would say, "Yeah, we should definitely stop that." But these these campaigns have to be funded somehow, so it's it is tricky, I think, to find a big an even sales. ground. Yeah, bake sales. Bake sales. Yeah. Actually, I think they, I think they should ha- they should have bake sales. Set you know set the spending limits very low, and you know. Bottle drives. Lemonade. I, th- I think there are ways they could be more creative. Uh, democratic reform with <laughs> Paula Simon. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be a new segment. I just like bake sales. Who doesn't? Yeah, if you don't like bake sales, you don't like life. That's that's my theory. So speaking of why you can't have nice things like cupcakes and brownies, the NDP did get in trouble in the House this week. They were found in contempt of the House after they ran some carbon tax ads in the summer. Yeah, shades of government's past. It, it does make me cranky when... You know, they default to old old habits learned from previous regimes. But I was reading an old uh, column of Graham's, I think it was about the Ethics Committee, actually, where he said, you know, you can accuse this government of just about anything. But if you accuse them of being like the PCs, it really gets under their skin. So you can definitely see that with this issue. It bugs them. And it's the second time that they've gotten in trouble for this very same issue. The first time was about a news release that they had about a, uh, an MLA salary freeze that was happening. And they put this out before they released the budget. And they got in trouble for the exact same thing. The speaker at the time said, 
guys, I don't want to see this again. Now, don't do this again. And the government said, we'll never do it again. We promise. Totally our bad. Sorry, sorry, sorry. And then, of course, they went and did it again. What, what is nice to see, I guess, is the New Democrat speaker doing the knuckle wrapping. I mean, yep. that, is, that is a good thing. But it was so overtly <laughs> wrong what they did. He had no choice. <laughs> he had to find them guilty of contempt, basically, or you know, yeah. st- stomping on the privileges of the, of the uh, so, assembly. So, so what happens? I mean, if you know, if 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 I'd been in court this week and and been found in contempt, I'd still be in the remand center. Uh, what, what what happens? What happens Nothing. when they're found in contempt? Nope. Well, yeah, all, don't do it again. Yeah, all that had to happen is um, so Darren Billis got up and gave an apology. Said again, we're very sorry. We never meant to do this, and uh, you know, and and then the speaker said, "Cool, no worries. Uh, we're good." But they, still, Cooper, but they still ran the ads. Well, exactly. Nathan Cooper, who's the opposition house leader, he was absolutely ropeable about that. He he actually stood up and he's like, me, me. Because what he wanted to do was pass a motion sending this question of what the government had done and how they should be punished to committee so committee could decide exactly how the NDP should pay for what they did around the carbon tax ads. But the speaker said, no, no, once they've apologized, then I think we're good. Let's move on. And he did not like that at all. Anyway, so that's what happened there. Good times in the house for this yeah. first week. So regular segment, good stuff from the gallery. Tomo, what do you got for us this week, mate? Uh, I think that I'm going to recommend a book that I just finished reading. You may have heard about it. It was all over the internet and Bill Gates recommended it. It's called Sapiens. It's about the history of humans. And it is one of those books that sounds a little dry, but it's really well written. And it really is something that makes you put things in perspective. Um, we've been around for 70,000 years. The universe is billions five billion years old and it really brings that point home it's kind of nice it kind of takes the pressure off so i recommend it it's also just a good read it takes the pressure off yeah, like you know <laughs> if the whole human race thing dies out you know this is, this is why the earth can't have nice things we're, we're not even the most impressive hominid i mean no. we've <laughs> everybody chill out yeah <laughs> it's all good paula what do you have for us today? Something to re- relax us with our own mortality or what? <laughs> well, I suppose I, I'm, I'm so not picking anything that has to do with American politics. I'm going to recommend a really, really cracking good guest column, uh, which was published in our Friday paper from Edmonton uh, visual artist Gordon Harper, who attended the province's recent meeting about the future of the Royal Alberta Museum. Uh, and he writes just a damning piece about how he went with all the optimism and expectation that got this new government elected and was so demoralized to see them talking the same kind of landlord demolition talk that is always talked in these circumstances. And he has this absolutely killer line in there about, yes, it will be challenging, but this is the government that, you know, that enthusiastically said they wanted to take on these ch- sorts of challenges. Uh, so, A, it's a, it's a great defense of a beautiful piece of modernist architecture, and B, it's a really quite subtle takedown of this government from somebody who's not a political partisan. So it makes a really good read. Mine isn't so much a read as it is a series of photographs. And this was something that Tomo sent over to me. I don't know if you guys saw it. It was a kid at the um, White House Halloween party and he was dressed as the Pope. It's this little like baby in a, in like a trolley thing. And uh, the photos... It's a Pope-mobile. A Pope-mobile. <laughs> and the kid just looks genuinely confused because the kid's probably, what, like I'm a, a year, 15 months old, something like that. And um, Obama and uh, and his wife's reaction was just priceless. It was so funny. He was possibly wetting himself with laughter. It was just... <laughs> but the kids, 
that kid's costume, you have to see it. It is just fantastic. <laughs> I mean, all, all of the, I mean, I've seen the images of Obama greeting the kid who's dressed as Prince from Purple Rain. Obama, oh, yeah. Obama greeting the kid dressed as Batman. I mean, uh, kids in costumes. Can we just look at more kids in costumes? <laughs> but, but, you know, it's just a mark of of the grace that he brought to that office. He's watching photos of Obama with kids is a bit like looking at puppies on the internet when you're really depressed and stressed. Here's some more pictures of Barack Obama playing with children. (laughs) Graham? Speaking of depressed and stressed in American (laughs) politics... We can't ignore what's going to happen on yes, Tuesday. Yes, yes, I can. I can put my head in the sand and yes, pretend it's not can. happening. So I just I'll recommend quickly it's the uh, cover of The Economist, the magazine. It's an editorial supporting Hillary Clinton against Trump. It's really well written. We've seen a lot of uh, articles and editorials in the last few weeks from newspapers in the U.S. backing Clinton and uh, dumping on Trump. Well, this is, of course, this is a, a British-based magazine. It's world-renowned. It's, it's a small C conservative. It's very, yeah, but it's, it's a very sort of pragmatic conservative magazine. Exceptionally well written, really detailed, and they're saying like Trump is a disaster, as we basically know. But it's, it's a really well written. It just sums up the race uh, quite nicely. Also, we love The Economist this week because they had a whole edition about why Canada is the greatest country in the whole wide world. They're, they're, having, they're having a serious Canada crush at the moment and, uh, you know, sort of the last bastion of liberty in North America. If, yes, if, if you need cheering up reading, too, that, it, it's, it's good for your, for your sense of Canadian patriotism. Oh, that's nice. Well, thanks so much for joining me this week, Stuart, Paula, Graham, and Greg. Our fearless photographer, who we all just looked at and who nodded like, yes, I am here. That's why Um, we can have nice things. Exactly. We can have nice things like Greg Sutton. You'll find this episode of the Press Gallery at edmontonjournal.com, along with a a short video, I suppose. Lucky you. Online at TuneIn Radio. You can subscribe with iTunes and our SoundCloud feed as well. Join us again this time next week on the Press Gallery.